Luke 9, 23. The words of Jesus, of course. And he said to them all, now his words, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is the Follow Me series. Tonight I'd like to speak on the marks of a disciple. And you may be seated. The disciples of Jesus Christ are not like anyone else in the world. All of us who are following Him bear marks of distinction that set us apart from those who follow anything or anyone else. Early on in this series, I spoke about discipleship as a relationship. We're not following a religion We're not just united Pentecostal people, although that's the church organization with whom we are affiliated. We are followers of Jesus Christ and His Word, and we belong to Him. The Apostle Paul said that he bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I think he specifically meant that he shared the sufferings of Jesus Christ and the beatings that he suffered identified him with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, I want you to mark those who walk, and in this case, not those who walked unworthy or in a sinful way, but mark those who walk so you would have them as an example. Paul said, be followers of me. There are some people that are disciples of Jesus Christ. And you see the marks of his discipleship in the way they live, the way they follow Him, they've just marked by Him. It is a mark of distinction. You remember when the Apostle Peter followed Jesus from afar off. It was a night of His really mock trial before the day of His crucifixion. Peter followed at a distance. He warmed his hands at the fire of the enemies of Jesus. He tried to blend in as best he could. But maybe his Galilean accent... The fact that he had been seen with Jesus. He had the marks of discipleship on him. He could not hide there even in the darkness. They said, you you were with Jesus in Galilee. Of course, he denied before them all. Someone else said, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied with an oath. After that, someone else said, your speech betrays you. You've got to be one of those disciples of Jesus. I know there are times maybe in all of our lives, and I would be ashamed to say it, that we didn't want to be identified with Jesus Christ. But when you've been hanging out with Him for so long, when you've been changed by the power of His Spirit, when His Word has affected the way you see life, you're marked for life. You bear in your life the marks of distinction that set you apart. I want to focus on three Marks of discipleship tonight. I'm sure there's many more. But I believe that disciples leave all. Disciples follow Jesus. And disciples become like Him. The decision to follow Jesus Christ is always an inconvenient decision and a commitment that often comes at an unhandy time. Jesus is not required to give you a 30-day notice to forsake all and follow Him. And by the way, when the Lord comes back to catch His bride, the church, away, you're not going to have a 30-second or a 30-minute or a 30-hour or 30-day notice to get your life right with Him. The Bible said that it will be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It will be so fast, you're either ready... Or you're not. That's just the way He chose to come back for us. Wherever Jesus encountered prospective disciples, He called them away from their life to follow Him. When you deny yourself, and I know you have this verse in your mind marked clearly now, but denying yourself severs you from your agenda. I really believe that Probably the clearest distinction of what sin is, 
is that sin is demanding your own way. It is a sense of autonomy. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And when Jesus calls you to follow him, it is to deny yourself. It is to forsake all. Peter and Andrew were were at work when Jesus walked by. I know they had prior knowledge and it seems like there was some unfolding of the call of Peter, Andrew, James and John. But in Mark chapter 1 verse 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. There is a hint to me of what Jesus does. He makes us and he causes us to become something by following him that we are not before we follow him. And straightway, immediately, they forsook their nets and followed him. 5.11 has much of the same story. Later in his life, Peter would say to Jesus, Lord, we have forsaken all to follow you. And it is really true that Peter and Andrew walked away from a commercial fishing business and they instantly walked away from it just like that. Disciples forsake all. In the same book, Mark chapter 1 verse 19 He had gone a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Now, if I would have been father Zebedee, I don't know how I would have responded at this moment. Because I've got this business all set up. I've got hired hands. I've got my two boys. I'm planning to leave the family business with them. But Jesus comes and calls them away from their life to another life. They have to forsake all. The business goes up in smoke. They somewhat take a vow of poverty. Not really, but they walk away. I believe that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that Mark writes about in chapter 1, had everything to live on. But Jesus gave them something to live for. And having something to live for always trumps having something to live on. There are a lot of miserable people in our world that are following every conceivable person, ideology, philosophy, or religion, and they are just as miserable now as they were when they started following, chasing after something to find meaning in life. But when Jesus calls you to forsake all to follow Him, He calls you to something worthwhile. Mark chapter 2. As Jesus passed by, He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. Matthew. He's at a toll booth. He's a tax collector. Have you ever gone through a toll booth? You know, my family's from Florida. Every time we go down there, I think I'm going to have to, you know, take out a loan to pay the tolls of going to see my mom. Matthew was a tax collector. When you went by Matthew's toll booth, you left him a little offering. Everyone who went by left taxes for Matthew. And I know you probably know this if you're a mature Christian, a a Bible reader, you've been around for a while. Publicans, these tax collectors, were despised by everybody. They were seen as crooked on the take from Rome and ripping off their Jewish brethren. And Matthew is sitting there at his job, middle of the day, and Jesus goes by him and says to Matthew, Follow me. And he arose... And followed him. Matthew just got up in the middle of the day, on toll booth, walked away, and somewhat said, I'm out of here. And he followed Jesus. Those are the stories of the early disciples 
We don't have the specific examples of all 12. But we know that Jesus called them. And the first mark of a disciple is forsaking all to follow him. Later in the epistles, and we know this from Acts and the epistles, but we read about the Apostle Paul, who in Philippians chapter 3, 8 said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung or rubbish, that I may win Christ." In Galatians 6 and 14, Paul said that God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul said, I have died to the world and the world, my former colleagues, my former life has somewhat cut me off and died to me. That's what happens when you follow Jesus Christ. Now Jesus said that it was clear what would prevent you from being a disciple of His. In Luke chapter 14, if you make Him second place, you cannot be His disciple. If you don't bear your cross and go after Him, you cannot be your disciple. If you do not forsake all you have, Jesus taught in Luke 14, 33, you cannot be my disciple. Three times in Luke 14, Jesus said, You cannot be my disciple if you don't meet these conditions. And they're really the conditions of abandoning your former agenda to adopt his agenda. To be willing to die to self that the life of God might be born in you. Now, it, I see this two ways. I see this one way where these are conditions or restrictions but I also see it as, as somewhat of an existing uh, state of being. In other words, you know, if you, if you are double-minded, James said you're unstable in all your ways. I said this last week, but Jesus taught, if you try to put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. I don't think so much Jesus was saying, I won't accept you as a disciple, but it's just the way discipleship works. We cannot serve two masters, but you will serve someone. So we either serve God or mammon, that which money brings in our lives. So we either forsake all or we cannot be his disciple. You just can't sit on the fence. It's not just a condition of discipleship. It's the way discipleship works. That's why the most miserable people in churches are people who are riding the fence, who are trying to have the best of both worlds. They're miserable Christians. They're miserable sinners. They have not understood this first criteria. A mark of a disciple is forsaking all to follow Him. Now, there will always be excuses. Not a good time, etc. In Luke 14 which is really a passage about discipleship. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a great supper. This is a different example than Brother Jury preached about on the last Sunday, a Sunday a week ago. Jesus gave three examples of people who refused invitations to come to this great supper, an invitation to the kingdom of God. Luke 14, 16, if you'll follow on the screens. And said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were come, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. So everybody who was invited, which may be you know, kind of a general reference to national Israel, but they all began to make an excuse. And then Jesus gives three examples of the typical excuses that people made. The first man said, I bought a piece of ground and I've got to go see it. I pray thee have me excused. Now, who would buy property without checking it out first? But that was his excuse. 
Another man said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I will go prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Five yoke of oxen was, uh, was a pretty wealthy man with the means I read to plow as much as a hundred acres of land. Typical farmer with the yoke of oxen would plow much less than that. Now, this is a pretty wealthy guy. I doubt he was going to be the person behind the reins. But that was his excuse. Another man said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And I've talked about that verse before. He doesn't really go into any detail. He just knows that he's not going to be able to follow Jesus. Now it's interesting that if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, there are some conditions for which the Lord let you off the hook from going to war. They're not the same, but they're somewhat similar about domestic or business commitments. Deuteronomy 20 speaks about this. The Lord is going to fight for you against your enemies. And then the Lord said, But if there's a man that built a new house and he hasn't dedicated it, you don't have to go to war unless you die in battle and someone else dedicates your house. Or he said, If you planted a vineyard, but you've not yet eaten the fruit of that vineyard, you can be excused from going to war Let someone else taste of the vineyard that you planted it. And then he said, if you've betrothed to a wife, you're engaged, but you've not yet consummated the marriage, you don't have to go to war. You can stay home because we don't want you to die in battle and another person take your espoused wife. There's another one where the Lord said in the same passage, if you're afraid, I don't want you to go because your lack of courage will be contagious to other people. Well... You know, this is all about going to war. And the Lord said, if you're going to war, there's some things that I would accept as an excuse. And you don't have to go to war. But when it came to discipleship, Jesus didn't allow those things to stand in the way. Because everybody always has an excuse. And unless you're willing to forsake all to follow Him, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is always inconvenient. It always requires reordering your priorities. It always requires forsaking all to follow Him. The second mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that disciples follow Jesus. Now that makes sense, right? Uh, You know the word follow? Have you ever followed anyone? On social media, the word follow describes some type of a relationship that you enter into that may be very casual or very serious, right? You're going to, by definition, to go after someone like they are a guide. If you are following someone who knows the way and you don't, I told that story in my first message, wrote it in my article uh, about Robert Linder, We were in New York City and we followed him. I trusted that he knew where to go. So I was happy to get behind him. He was very tall. I am not. And go after him. Follow can mean to watch steadily or to keep your mind on someone. If you uh, have Instagram as one of your social media sites, most followed person in the world is Selena Gomez. She just passed Taylor Swift. She has 69.7 million followers on Instagram. Now, I don't follow Selena Gomez or Taylor Swift. Kind of hope you don't either. Can't really tell you very much about Selena Gomez. I know Taylor Swift's a singer. But there are people who follow them. And some people, it's maybe a casual thing. But believe me, the word fan comes from the word fanatic, and that's what it means. They have a lot of fans. Katy Perry has 95.5 million followers on Twitter, followed by another great man named Justin Bieber, another great cultural icon, 88.9 million people. Well, you know, following someone like that might be as casual as keeping track of their actions or, or their comments. But you know, who you follow says a lot about you. 
who you're interested in knowing what they're doing and what they're saying, what they had for lunch, where they're going, their latest love, their latest issue. You're following them. And I've learned that if you can, de- if you can show me who you're following, I can show you where you're going. Because you will go after the people you follow. You know, a parade goes a really long way. You don't have to be the person right behind the parade leader to be following him or her wherever they are going. Followers eventually imitate their guide, the person that they are following. You have the same destiny as a person that you follow. And Christian disciples follow Jesus. They do not follow the attitudes or the action or the appearance of ungodly icons in our world. We do not take our cue from them, regardless of who they are. The Bible says to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You tell me who you're following and you've already told me where you're going because those people are influencing the way you live your life. You're listening to someone's voice. You are a follower. Disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. They see where He's going. They learn what He's saying. They find out what he had for lunch and how many people he fed lunch to. You don't copy the patterns of people who are against Jesus Christ. The epistles would say this in a totally different way. The apostle Paul said that the fashion of this world passes away. John said in his epistle to love not the the world... Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This kind of goes back to the idea of forsaking all to follow him. Disciples forsake all, disciples follow Jesus. And the problem is you cannot have a love for the world, the world system of evil. It doesn't mean trees and bees and birds and grass and stuff like that. It means the world system that is kind of arrayed itself against God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father doesn't coexist with the world in your life. It's that same idea. Well, you either love the one and hate the other, or hold to the one or despise the other. There's just, there's, you're just not wired to live in the kingdom of God, and love the world at the same time. Disciples of Christian disciples follow Jesus. I preached about this just a while back, but Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may Prove in your life what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Disciples follow Jesus. They may follow some other people, but but they spend more time checking out the latest post from Jesus than they do from anyone else. 
Now some people follow with the wrong motives. Jesus said that in John 6, 1, that a great multitude followed him because of the miracles. And then later in the same chapter, Jesus said, you didn't follow me for the miracles, you followed me for the loaves and fishes. You got full. But, but essentially, some people follow Jesus for the perks, for blessings. They follow Jesus. I, I know this is not part of the scripture, but some follow Jesus out of a fear of hell. They're scared to death they would go to hell, so they follow Jesus. And I talked about this. That's why discipleship is a relationship. It's not about, you know, playing spiritual Russian roulette, hoping that you can get right with God just before you get left. That, that's, not, that's not what this is about. So people follow Jesus for the wrong reason. And I've learned that when you follow Jesus... That, that sometimes it takes you to some very uncomfortable places. He said, take up your cross and follow me. I would say Golgotha was a fairly uncomfortable place. I, I noted when I was writing my article you know, a month or so ago, went through all the passages that I could find on discipleship. I really haven't talked about this, but, but I thought about how uncanny this was in Matthew chapter 8. I, I don't have the scripture on the screen And when he entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. You know, you're a follower of Jesus. He gets on a ship, you get on a ship. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered up with waves, but he was asleep. Now, I just want you to see, and we know this is a story, but it is true. It has application to our lives, and we need to think about this. You follow Jesus... He gets on a boat, you get in the boat with him, you know. People say, I'm in your boat, you know, I'm in the boat with you. They're in the boat with Jesus. He leads them intentionally to a storm. Now, for us, it might be following Jesus and there is the rejection of family or friends. There's hardship, there's persecution. There can even be martyrdom. We follow Jesus and he takes us right into the middle of a stormy situation. Now, the Lord is a lot more concerned about what's going to come out of this storm than He is about the storm itself. He's really not worried about you being wet or cold or afraid. He's concerned about your faith in Him. And through this storm, He's going to reveal Himself for His mighty power. Watch this. The disciples came came to Him and they woke Him saying... Lord, save us, we perish. He says unto them, Why are you fearful? And, O ye of little faith, he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a a great calm, great storm, great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? In following Jesus... He can only reveal His power when there is a problem. If your life is problem free, you never see the hand of God come to your rescue so your faith is built in Him. When you follow Jesus, you're following Him into some very uncomfortable circumstances at times in your life. But it is part of God's plan not to let you die in the storm, but to to reveal His power to you in the storm, to come out with a greater faith in Him. And it is true that you are safer in a storm with Jesus than on the land without Him. Amen? You're always safer to have Jesus on board. Discipleship means following Jesus into some intentional storms designed to build your faith and reveal His power. No storm, no calm. No storm, no test. No storm, no revelation of His power. God is more interested in building your faith than He is in sparing you from the storm. God The Lord takes us into some very uncomfortable places. There's another stormy story in the Bible of Matthew chapter 14 that he tells the disciples to get on the boat and he goes ahead of them. 
They get on the boat. Here we go again. Multitudes are sent away. They're in the middle of the night. He's in a mountain praying. Now they're in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves. The wind is contrary. The Sea of Galilee is really an amazing little place. It's got mountains that funnel winds down to it. And they didn't have the weather channel or AccuWeather. So they really didn't really know what was coming. But because of the topography, a storm could come up just quickly like that. So you could be like life. Everything's going really well. And then instantly it seems like everything falls apart. Well, the disciples are in the Sea of Galilee. And isn't it interesting that the Lord was born in in Bethlehem and Israel and here is this perfect setting for the stories and the lessons that He would teach us all in Palestine. Well, they're tossed with the waves. Three o'clock in the morning, He comes walking to them on the sea. He tells them not to be afraid. They think it's a spirit The death angel, someone told us recently, they think they're going to die. But now Peter says, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you walking on the water. Now, I recognize that to many of you this is a very familiar story. But it is a story of discipleship. It is a story of going to Jesus in a really difficult circumstance. So, the Lord says, come. Peter comes down out of the ship. He walks on the water to go to Jesus. He sees the wind boisterous. He's afraid. He begins to sink. And he cries, Lord, save me. The Lord stretches forth his hand, catches him, asks him, you know, says to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? They come to the ship. The wind kind of stops, and they all worship Him. So that's the story. But but here's what I want to say about tonight. That there are times when the Lord will call you, will give you an opportunity to kind of initiate a step of faith, and He will invite you to experience the supernatural. So you have to decide to step out of the safe ship to try to walk on unstable water. This has never happened before or as far as I know since. It is an unrepeated miracle. No one is healed. No one is raised from the dead. No one is cleansed from leprosy. You might wonder why Jesus would demonstrate his power to Simon Peter just to get him to walk on water. But this is not a roller coaster ride. It's not just for the thrill of it. It is a lesson in faith. When you're walking with Jesus, when you're following Him, you have to keep your eyes on Him. There will always be winds and waves. And if you take your eyes off following Jesus Christ, there's a lot of stuff that will steal your faith in Him and you will feel like you are sinking beneath the circumstances of your life. Following Jesus Christ means abandoning the relatively safe ship. I know it's in a storm to risk the uncertainty of the sea. A friend of mine texted me this week and asked if I had a time to call him, and I did. It's a person in his mid-40s, family, ministry, being a blessing, totally secure in many ways. And he said, but the Lord, I'm paraphrasing, the Lord is really messing with my life. The last few months, and I'm going to keep this very generic, the Lord is calling us to big change in our life. My wife feels that I feel and I've counseled with the key people in my life. We don't know the where or the when, but we know that God is calling us to do something that is, you know, he didn't say this, but it's pretty scary. I think it's scary. I'm his friend. I think it's scary. But that is following Jesus. Where do we get this idea that following Jesus is always following him to more security, more money, better job? 
It isn't like that. The very last place Simon Peter will follow him is to a place of personal martyrdom. History says crucified upside down. Jesus prophesied the death of Simon Peter. He will follow him and it doesn't get better and better and better. At the end it gets worse all of a sudden. But that is still following Jesus. That's why I want to talk about Peter stepping out of the water. I'm not talking about doing something foolish. I spoke about the will of God sometimes back, sometime back, that the will of God will never contradict the Word of God or the Spirit of God. God will always work out the circumstances. There will be the consensus of counsel. But we are people who walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And sometimes following Jesus just means you got to get out of the boat. Sometimes it does mean writing a check that you know you can't write. There's no way it can happen. Sometimes it does mean emptying all out. It does mean sacrifice. That's what following Jesus is. But it is following Jesus. It is not just following some whim or some idea. It is the leadership of Jesus Christ in your life. Following Jesus means to forsake all. Following Jesus or being a disciple means following Jesus. I said this a couple weeks ago, but you follow Jesus in the way you think. You follow Jesus in the way you live. You follow Jesus in the values you embrace. You follow Jesus obediently I hope I say it a hundred more times but the cross to a believer is the test of complete obedience or submission the test of complete obedience to the will of God if you're dead indeed to sin and alive to God what's the problem? Why, why is that consecration? Why is that standard? Why is that act of obedience so hard for you? And the Bible would teach, and I, I don't want to get too far off on this, but the tithing is a way of demonstrating the lordship of Jesus Christ. You turn the first 10%, you recognize that the first tenth belongs to Him. Now you either have faith that he can allow the 90% to go farther than the 100 or you don't. You either have faith that his word is true or you don't. You say, well, I, I argue with tithing. Well, if you want to go any other different doctrine, then you've got to go stewardship, which means sell all. Get over in Acts 4 and give it out, get it all. Sell all your other houses, give everything away. So 10% is a pretty good deal. You might as well stick with tithing. Because anything else in the Bible costs a lot more than 10% for just talking about money. And you might be that guy who says, oh yeah, you want to follow me? Sell all, give it to the poor, take up your cross, follow me. Now you want to argue about, you know, money? Let's talk money. Let's talk where your heart really is. But, but there are a lot of different ways the Lord tests our discipleship whether we are following Him or not. Disciples follow Jesus whatever the cost. You see, we are made to follow. We're made to follow. That's why 90 million people, 60 million people want to follow somebody. They think they're cool or they're successful and and we're intrigued by that. But we're made to follow someone. You know, I, I am a leader. I think I'm a leader. I guess you look behind someone's following you're a leader. No one's following, you're not. But anyway, that's how you know if you're a leader or not. Turn around. But anyway, I know some people who think they're leaders and they're just mavericks and they're just riding off out there by themselves trying to be some great icon and nobody cares. That's totally free sermon. 
You know, by my personality, there's a saying, do not follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. That sounds great. You know, it doesn't appear that appeals to that pioneer in me, you know. Rugged individualist. But we're not that way. But really, while that sounds enticing, I would rather follow Jesus than blaze my own trail. Because, this is just my testimony, I found that His plans for my life were way better than my wildest dreams. The great adventure of discipleship has far exceeded any idea I had of what my life could be many times over. And you know, your way, there is a way, Proverbs said, that seems right to a man, but the end of it are the ways of death. And it's not in man to direct his steps. We don't have have an internal guidance system. You know, in the same way that global positioning system allows this device to lock in on three or more satellites orbiting the earth. I I have this need to lock in on the counsel of God, to the will of God. I have this need to kind of triangulate my life. It has to be, I have to find something outside myself to guide me. I need the leadership of Jesus Christ. I've said it many times to leaders that the most dangerous person in the world is a person who is not under submission. He does not look to someone for leadership does not have does not allow anybody to have veto power in their life. They're God unto themselves and they're a dangerous person. Self-will. Every one of us are being influenced every day. Your outlook, your worldview has been shaped since birth. I know you're not a blank piece of paper. We bring personality to the equation. And you can go down the road of nurture, nature, and I I believe in both sides of that. We have a nature and we have been nurtured in life. But everybody sitting here today, everybody watching online, we've been shaped by a lot of factors in our lives. Your education, your ideas, your biases... Your presuppositions on life have shaped how you think and who you follow. But when you follow Jesus Christ, you have to forsake all. All you have. That doesn't mean you have to give it all, but you have to be willing to give it all. You have to forsake all you have and all you are. Jesus said, father, mother, sister, brother, right? Your own life also. Or, or you just can't be my disciple. It won't work. So you forsake that all to follow him. Remember when Thomas asked the Lord, where are you going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. Everybody wants to live the life. Everybody would like to think they had the truth, but you can only get truth and life by following Jesus Christ, who is the way. You follow Him to truth, and you follow Him to life that more abundantly. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and He also is the life. There's a lot of things in the storms of life that will try to distract you that you would take your eyes off Jesus who said, Come. Come to me. Come to my heaven. Come spend eternity with me. But between here and there is a lot of wind and a lot of waves. And we've got to to continually refocus our eyes on Jesus Christ.
Disciples forsake all. Disciples follow Jesus. And disciples become like Jesus. It's my observation that discipleship is is part information, part association. There are some things that are caught and there are other things that are taught. For example, I am a lot like my father because I was privileged to have my father in my life from birth. And he was my idol. And admiration is always shown by imitation. So I'm sure that my gestures, a lot about me is like my dad. My son Joel preached at another church somewhere recently and the person, uh, one of the people in the congregation texted me and said, you know, some minister to me today in the lesson and the sermon. And I heard him, I heard you and him more than once. Well, there may be times he wishes that wasn't true, but that's just the way it is. You, you can't help it. When I served in Jackson, Mississippi under Brother Kraft for, for 10 years, was there 13 years, you know, people said, you remind me a lot of Brother Kraft. I can't help it. He's one of my heroes, and you're just going to imitate the people that you admire. And if you follow Jesus, it's not like you've got to strain or do some contorting. If you just spend time with him, you're going to be like him. It's just what happens when you hang out with Jesus. But there's no distance learning to discipleship. You've got to get up close and personal. Casual contact does not make you a disciple. You have to forsake all, follow him. It's the association with him that brings the transformation in your life. Discipleship means being, discipleship means being changed to be like Jesus Christ. And sometimes um, it means unlearning things. Un- unlearning. You remember the disciples? There are some people that somewhat opposed them. And they said, James and John, let's call fire down from heaven. We could, wouldn't that be so awesome? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Sorry guys, you just flunked the Jesus test. The Son of Man came to save men's lives, not destroy them. So I just want to suggest right now, very politely, that you may think, you think, the way Jesus wants you to think. You may think that you're acting the way He wants you to act. And you may call yourself a follower, but you may be wrong. Because the only way you're really going to know how Jesus thinks and how He wants you to live is through His Word. And as His Word is enlightened to you by His Spirit. You remember parents bring their kids to Jesus. And the disciples, like, they sort of form a ring around Him. Not really, but like, Wait, no, no kids, no kids here. And Jesus says, hold, hold on, guys. Allow children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. And by the way, in another place he says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you ain't getting in. So he didn't say ain't. You will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. My paraphrase would be, what's wrong with you guys? I don't think like that. Where did you ever get that I wanted to call fire down on heaven? Where did you ever get the idea that I didn't want little kids to come around me? 
you never saw that in me. And even after Pentecost, in the book of Acts, you've got, you've got a major conflict. You've got prejudice. Jewish Christians not being able to embrace a Gentile revival. And thinking all along that God's smiling down on them and proud of them. And all along the Lord's working hard to change the way they think. Following Jesus sometimes means unlearning some things as well as learning others. And by the way, Jesus called people like you and me to prove that He could do a lot with a little. You know, when He, when he found us, it was because He thought, well, I can really, that person's really smart. I can, I can, I can do a lot with them. Well, look at that talent pool right there. Boy, I can, don't you know He started with nothing? The worlds were framed by the Word of God. He started with nothing but Himself and His Word. And when He made man, He formed him from the dust to the ground. He doesn't need your talent or your intellect. And when He called the twelve disciples, when He called the twelve disciples, He called twelve ordinary men. He did not call theologians. He didn't call scribes. He didn't call really... He, the Bible said that not many nobles not many wise are called. He doesn't want any flesh to glory in His presence. But He takes people like you and me and said, if you will forsake all, if you will follow me, I can make something out of you. You can become like me if you'll just follow Him. Disciples become like Jesus. Some of you know I had a birthday Monday and I appreciate all the kind well-wishers you know. And, but I feel like I'm such a blessed person. And one thing that my parents raised us in the church, I feel so blessed by that. And friends that have come to God out of the world told me you should be so thankful you don't have some of the memories and experiences that I have to deal with you know, from my world of sin. I, I thank God for that. And so some of us may have come to God young with a good Christian background. But you don't have to have that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If any man, if any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are made new. Jesus Christ can take you raw, sinner, corrupted. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. When you come to Him, He will take you as you are. You can put on a robe of righteousness. You can be changed by the power of God. You don't have to bring anything to the table but yourself. Mark 1.16 I gave you this verse, but I want to just point out Mark 1.17. You can go right there. Come after me, and I will make you to become. Do I know what he says, fishers of men? I understand context, but I also understand what Jesus does in us. I will make you. That's the transformation. That's what the Holy Ghost does. That's what the Word of God does in our life. It transforms us. It brings us up. It lifts us up. Amen. If you will just come after me, forsake all, follow me, I will make you. There are so many people that feel unworthy, unloved, inept, they have no idea what they can become. So they don't follow hard after the Lord. They're just afraid they don't have what it takes. Guess what? None of us have what it takes. Amen. He loved us when we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were poor. Amen. He was rich. But for our sakes, He became poor that we through His poverty might be made rich. He gave us this great gift of salvation. So don't disqualify yourself. 
Because you don't feel like you've got the nature, the pedigree. Oh, you have, if you have a soul, if you've got breath inside of you, if you were forsake, will forsake all and follow him, you will be like him. Association with Jesus changes you. Not following him from a distance like experience to experience, and I've covered that. Following him to be like him. The education of the disciples, for the most part, was not done in the temple courts, on the temple steps, and on the Sabbath day. It was done in life. I know that's kind of a common saying that some of us have gotten turned off. Well, let's just do life together, you know. Well, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. You know, walking through the grain fields and teaches a lesson on a ship, on a mountain, with people through dire circumstances in life. And don't you think that the great lessons of discipleship in your life, maybe the formal lesson taught on Sunday and Wednesday, but a whole lot more of discipleship, teaching us to interact with our families, helping us be good co-workers or citizens. It's out, it's out when there's another wreck on the interstate and you know you're not going to get home on time to eat to get to church on Wednesday night. It's that all of that kind of stuff that you may segregate from your spiritual life, that's where the hard work of discipleship is done. Years ago, in the church in Jackson, the guys, you know, they played ball, about just like here. They're playing basketball and their attitudes were getting kind of bad. So one leader suggested that we just shut down basketball. Don't play basketball at all because these bad attitudes were coming out. Well, I don't always have the right answer, but I thought and I said, well, you know, bad attitudes were there. And we just saw them come out. You know, I would rather them come out to deal with them because they're probably coming out at home or work and all these other places if they're coming, if these bad attitudes are showing up in the church family life center. Why don't we deal with the bad attitudes, not just shove them down where we don't know they're there? Y'all are so nice and spiritual right now, smilingly like, man, those must have been some really bad people. We're not like that. Sorry. Worship team, please come. The changes in the disciples were very conspicuous. Now we're past Pentecost, Acts 3, lame man at the gate, beautiful. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk, and his feet and ankle bone receive strength. And he leaping up, walked and stood, and went into the temple. And the first miracle, really, of the church dispensation performed on a, on a person. And he probably goes to church for the very first time because the lame man couldn't get in there, you know. And so people gather and they question Peter and John about this miracle. By what power? By what name have you done this? And by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. And, and they answer their questions, Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they didn't go to seminary. That's kind of the translation of that. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Forsake all. Follow Him. It just happens. What a miracle. But not just the miracle of a lame man healed. But the lame man of a of a 
cussing fisherman. How do you know he was a cussing fisherman? Because, well, at the fire, on the eve of the crucifixion of Jesus, he did it again. Right? And isn't that the goal? That the people in our, that we would be like him for our own sake. But the world around us, not just in the context of a miracle or boldness or knowledge, but by the change in our lives, people would take knowledge of us and say, well, that's not their temperament, that's not their upbringing. There's only one explanation for this. They've been with Jesus. They've been on their knees in prayer. They've been digging into His Word. They've been in fellowship with His body. They're like Him. They embody His character. They're like Him. They embrace His mission. They're like Him. They share His destiny. The marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you mind standing? If it's not too late for you, join me at the altar. And as you walk down that aisle, whether it's a short walk or a long walk, why don't you just say, I am following Jesus.